0: Book 2, Chapter 4, of the Mystical City of God, Volume 3, by the Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book 2, Chapter 4, The devil is much disturbed and disconcerted on account of the miracles of Christ and of St. John the Baptist. Herod seizes and beheads St. John, some particulars of his death. The Redeemer of the world, departing from Jerusalem and traveling about Judea for some time, pursued the work of preaching and performing miracles, while he was baptizing and at the same time commissioning his disciples to baptize, as is recorded in the third and fourth chapter of St. John's Gospel. His precursor also continued to baptize in Anon on the banks of the Jordan near the city of Salem. But the baptisms of the Lord and those of St. John were not the same kind. For St. John continued to give only the baptism of water and of penance, while our Lord administered his own baptism, that of real pardon of sins and justification, such as it is now in the church, accompanied by the infusion of grace and of the virtues. To the mysterious power and effects of the baptism of Christ was moreover added the efficacy of his words and instructions confirmed by the wonder of his miracles. On this account, more disciples and followers soon gathered around Christ than around St. John, in fulfillment of the words of the Baptist, that Christ must grow while he must be diminished. John chapter 3 verse 22 At the baptisms of the Lord, His Most Holy Mother ordinarily was present, and she beheld all the great results of this regeneration in the favored souls. With the same gratitude, as if she herself were receiving the benefits of the sacrament, she gave thanks for them, breaking forth in canticles of praise, and exercising heroic virtues as a thank-offering to the author of them. Thus, in all these wonderful activities, she gained for herself incomparable and unheard of merits." when by divine permission Lucifer and his followers arose from the ruinous defeat which they had experienced at the triumph of Christ in the desert, and when they returned and saw the works of the most sacred humanity, divine providence ordained, that though always remaining ignorant of the principal mystery connected with Christ, they should nevertheless see enough to lead to their entire discomfiture. Lucifer, therefore, perceived the great results of the preaching, the miracles, the baptism of Christ our Lord, and how by these means innumerable souls were withdrawn from his jurisdiction and from the shackles of sin in the reformation of their life, the same effects he recognized also in the preaching of St. John and in his baptism. He remained ignorant of the essential difference between these two preachers and their baptisms and at the same time had no doubts about the final overthrow of his dominion if their activity should continue. Hence, Lucifer could not be but full of fear and unrest. He knew well that he was too weak to resist the power of heaven, which he felt was exerted against him in these new preachers and their doctrines. These considerations filled his proud mind with great apprehension, and therefore he called another meeting of the princes of darkness and said to them, Strange things happen in the world during these years, and every day do they multiply, so that my fears, lest the divine word has come into the world, according to the promise, are growing more and more harrowing. I have searched the face of the whole earth, and I cannot find him. But these two men, who are preaching and deprive me every day of many souls, excite within me great misgivings. The one I could never overcome in the desert, and the other vanquished all of us, so that even now we are disheartened and crushed. If they continue as they have begun, all our triumphs will turn to confusion. They cannot both be the Messiah's and I cannot as yet be sure that either one of them is he. But to draw so many souls from a life of sin is a work not equalled by any to this day. It supposes a new power, which we must investigate and trace to its source, and we must destroy these two men. Follow me and assist me with all your strength, astuteness, and sagacity, because otherwise they will frustrate our intentions. These ministers of evil, therefore, came to the determination of persecuting anew, our Savior Christ, and his precursor, St. John. But as they had no knowledge of the mysteries of the divine wisdom, all their great projects and resolves were vain and without firmness. They were sadly misled and confused on the one hand, by so many miracles, and on the other hand, by outward appearances entirely different from those which they had attributed to the incarnate word at his coming into the world. In order that his malice might find some enlightenment, and in order that his companions, who were to spy out and discover what secret power had discomfited them, might be more successful in assisting him. Lucifer ordered meetings of the demons to be held, in which they were to communicate to each other what they had seen and understood concerning recent events, and he offered them great rewards and preferments in his hellish dominions for good service. For the purpose of throwing them into a still greater doubt and confusion, the Lord permitted the hellish fiends to imagine greater holiness in the life of St. John the Baptist. He did not perform the same wonders as Christ but the outward signs of his holiness were very remarkable, and his exterior virtues were wonderful. God also concealed some of the more extraordinary wonders performed by Jesus from the dragon, and there was a great similarity between Christ and St. John in regard to certain particulars which came to the knowledge of the devil, so that he remained in doubt and could not come to a certain decision as to which of them really deserved to hold the office and dignity of Messiah's. Both, he said to himself, are great saints and prophets. The life of the one is that of the common people, but yet extraordinary and strange in some respects. The other performs many miracles, and his doctrine is nearly the same. Both cannot be the messiahs, but let them be whoever they may be. I recognize them as my great enemies and as saints, and must persecute them until I have undone them. These suspicions of the demons began from the time when he saw St. John in the desert, leading such a wonderful and unheard of life even from his childhood, and at the time he thought that his virtues were greater than that of a mere man could be. On the other hand, he also learned of some of the doings and of the heroic virtues of the life of Christ our Lord, which were not less wonderful, and the demon compared them with those of John. Yet as the Savior lived a life more of the common order among men, Lucifer was more anxious to find out who this John could be. With this desire, he incited the Jews and the Pharisees of Jerusalem to send the priests and Levites to St. John in order to ascertain who he was. John chapter 1 verse 19 whether he was Christ, as through Lucifer they were led to suspect. And the devil's suggestions must have been very persistent, since they knew that the Baptist was of the tribe of Levi, and hence, as was well known, could not be the Messiahs. For according to the scriptures, and according to their knowledge of the law, and of revealed truth, the Messiahs was to be of the tribe of Judah. Psalm 81 verse 11 But the devil troubled their minds so much, that yielding to his astute malice, they asked this question. The devil pursued a double object, for if John was the messias, he wanted him to reveal it. If not, he wanted to diminish his influence with the people who believed him to be the messias. Or he wished St. John to fall into a vain complacence, or at least usurp, either wholly or in part, the honor thus held out to him. Hence the demon eagerly listened to every word of the answer given by St. John. But the holy precursor answered with heavenly wisdom, confessing the truth in such a way that the astuteness of the enemy was foiled, and his uncertainty was greater than before. He answered that he was not Christ. Then they asked again whether he was Elias. Since it was written of Elias that he was to come before Christ, and as the Jews were so dull as not to know how to distinguish between the first and second coming, they asked him whether he was Elias. He answered, I am not, adding, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah, John chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. All these questions were put by the messengers through instigation of the devil, for he expected that if St. John was a holy man, he would tell the truth, and therefore reveal clearly who he was. When he heard St. John call himself a voice, he was much taken aback, suspecting in his ignorance that he meant to call himself the Eternal Word. His restlessness was augmented the more when he reflected on the apparent unwillingness of St. John to reveal himself to the Jews. Hence he suspected that his having called himself a voice was only a covered way of speaking. The devil argued that if St. John had called himself openly the Word of God, he would have thereby revealed his divinity. Hence, in order not to discover himself, he had assumed the name voice instead of word. Into such confusion of mind did Lucifer fall concerning the mystery of the Incarnation, and while he believed the Jews had been deluded and misled, he himself was cast into a much greater error by his false theology. Thus deceived, his fury against the Baptist outgrew all bounds. But remembering his defeats in the battles against the Savior, and conscious of having had just as little success in leading St. John into any grave fault, he resolved to make war upon him by another channel. And he found such a channel already prepared. The baptist had reprehended Herod for his disgraceful and adulterous connection with Herodias, who had openly left her husband Philip, his brother, as is related by the evangelists. Mark chapter six, verse seventeen. Herod was aware of the holiness of saint John and of his sayings. He held him in fear and veneration and listened to him with pleasure. But whatever force the truth and the light of reason exerted in Herod, It was readily perverted to evil by the malicious and boundless hatred of the wicked Herodias and her daughter, who was like her mother in morals. The adulterous woman was deeply degraded by her passions and sensuality, and therefore lent herself readily as an instrument of demoniac malice. This woman, having been previously instigated by the devil to procure the death of St. John in different ways, now incited the king to condemn him to death. That he had called himself the voice of God, and who was the greatest of women born, was therefore taken prisoner. The anniversary of the unfortunate birthday of Herod was to be celebrated by a banquet and ball, given by him to the magistrates and nobles of Galilee, of which he was king. The degraded Herodias brought her daughter to the feast, in order to dance before the guests. The blinded and adulterous king was so taken in by the dancing girl that he promised her any gift or favor she desired, even if it were the half of his kingdom. She, directed by her mother, and both of them by the devil, asked for more than a kingdom, yea, more than many kingdoms, namely, the head of John the Baptist, and that it be given to her immediately on a plate." The king commanded it to be done on account of the oath he had taken, and because he had subjected himself to the influence of a vile and degraded woman. Men are accustomed to consider it an unbearable offense to be called a woman, because they think it denies them the superiority deemed peculiar to manhood. But it is a greater disgrace to be governed and led about by women's whims, for he that obeys is inferior to the one that commands." and yet many are thus degraded, without adverting thereto. And so much the greater is their degradation, the more immodest the woman they follow. For, having lost the virtue of modesty, nothing remains in a woman, which is not most despicable and abominable in the sight of God and man. During the imprisonment of St. John, brought about by Herodias, he was much favored by our Savior and by his mother. The Lady comforted him many times, by sending her holy angels, sometimes also ordering them, to prepare and bring him nourishment. The Lord also conferred on him many interior graces and favors. But the demon who wished to destroy him gave no rest to Herodias until he should see him dead. He eagerly seized the occasion of the banquet, inciting Herod to utter that foolish promise and oath for the sake of Herodias's daughter, and confusing his mind, so that he impiously looked upon a failure to fulfill his sworn promise— as a sin and a dishonor, and thus in his blindness he delivered the head of the Baptist to the dancing girl, as is related in the gospel. At the same time, the queen of the world was, in the usual manner, made aware of the interior will of her Most Holy Son, that the hour of martyrdom had arrived for the Baptist, and that he should give his life in testimony of the truths he had preached. The most pure mother prostrated herself at the feet of Christ our Lord, and tearfully implored him to assist his servant and precursor in that hour, to comfort and console him, and that his death might be so much the more precious, in his eyes, in view of his suffering for the honor and defense of the truth. The Savior responded to her petition with much pleasure, saying that he would fulfill it entirely, and bidding her immediately to accompany him on a visit to St. John. Then Christ and his Holy Mother were miraculously and invisibly born to the dungeon cell, where St. John lay fettered in chains, and wounded in many parts of his body. For the wicked adulteress, wishing to do away with him, had ordered some of her servants, six on three different occasions, to scourge and maltreat him, which they actually did in order to please their mistress. By these means, this tigress had attempted to murder the Baptist, before the banquet at which Herod commanded him to be beheaded. The devil incited these cruel henchmen to assail St. John with vilest insults and bodily ill-treatment, for they were most wicked men, fit servants of such an accursed and infamous adulteress. The presence of Christ and his blessed mother filled that foul prison of the Baptist with celestial light. While the other parts of the palace of Herod were infested by innumerable demons and syncophants more criminal than the state prisoners in their cells below, the cell of St. John was entirely sanctified by the presence of the Sovereigns of Heaven, who were accompanied by a great host of angels. As soon as the Precursor beheld before him, the Redeemer and his mother, in the midst of the angelic hosts, his chains fell from him, and his wounds were healed. With ineffable joy, he prostrated himself on the ground, and in deepest humility and admiration, asked the blessing of the incarnate word and his mother. Having fulfilled his request, they remained for some time, holding divine converse with their friend and servant, which I cannot all repeat here, though I will mention some of what impressed itself more vividly on my dull mind. In kindest tone and manner, the Savior said, John, my servant, how eagerly thou pressest on to be persecuted, imprisoned, and scourged, and to offer thy life for the glory of my Father, even before I myself enter upon my sufferings. Thy desires are quickly approaching their fulfillment since thou art soon to enjoy thy reward in suffering tribulations, such as I myself have in view for my humanity. But it is thus the Eternal Father rewards the zeal with which thou hast fulfilled the office of being my precursor. Let thy loving anxieties now cease, and offer thy neck to the axe. For such is my wish, and thus shalt thou enjoy the happiness of suffering and dying for my name. I offer to the Eternal Father thy life, in order that mine be yet prolonged. The sweetness and power of these words penetrated the heart of the Baptist, and filled it with such delights of divine love, that for a long time he could not give any answer. But being reinforced by divine grace, and dissolved in tears, he thanked his lord and master for the ineffable favor of this visit, which was now added to so many other great ones he had received at his hands. And with sighs of love from his inmost soul, he said, My eternal God and Lord, I cannot ever merit pains or sufferings worthy of such a great consolation and privilege is that of enjoying thy divine presence and that of thy exalted mother, my mistress. Altogether unworthy am I of this new blessing. In order that thy boundless mercy may be exalted, permit me, Lord, to die before thee, so that thy holy name may be made more widely known, and look with favor on my desire of enduring the most painful and lingering death. Let Herod and sin and hell itself, triumph over me in my death, for I offer my life for thee, my beloved, in the joy of my heart. Receive it, my God, as a pleasing sacrifice. And thou, mother of my Savior and my mistress, turn thy most loving eyes in clemency upon thy servant, and continue to show him thy favor as a mother and as a cause of all blessing. During all my life I have despised vanities and loved the cross, which is to be sanctified by my Redeemer." I have desired to sow in tears, but never could I have merited the delight of such a visit, which has sweetened all my sufferings, gladdened my bondage, and makes my death itself more pleasing and acceptable than life. While they were yet engaged in this conversation, three servants of Herod entered his prison with a hangman ready to execute upon him the implacable fury of the cruel adulteress. St. John presented his neck and the executioner fulfilled the impious order of Herod by cutting off his head. The high priest Christ, at the same moment, received in his arms the body of the saint, while his blessed mother held his head in her hands, both of them offering this victim to the Eternal Father on the altar of their sacred hands. This was possible not only because the two sovereigns of the world were invisible, but also because the servants of Herod had begun to quarrel as to which of them should flatter the infamous dancer and her mother by bringing them the head of St. John. In their dispute, one of them, without paying attention to any other circumstance, snatched the head from the hands of the Queen of Heaven, and the rest of them followed in order to offer it on a plate to the daughter of Herodias. The sacred soul of the Baptist, in the company of a multitude of angels, was sent to Limbo, and its arrival renewed the joy of the holy souls there imprisoned. The sovereigns of heaven returned to the place whence they had come. Of the holiness and excellence of the great precursor, many things are written in the church, and although I have been informed of several other mysteries concerning him, which I could relate, I cannot depart from my original purpose, or extend this history in writing of them. I wish only to say that the fortunate and blessed precursor of Christ received great favors at the hands of Christ the Redeemer and His Holy Mother during the whole course of His life, in His happy birth, His stay in the desert, His preaching, and in His holy death. Such wonders were wrought for no other man by the right hand of God. Instruction given to me by the Most Holy Queen, Mary My daughter... Thou hast been very short in describing the mysteries of this chapter, yet a great lesson is contained therein, for thee and all the children of light. Write it in thy heart, and notice well the great difference between the innocence and holiness of the Baptist, who was poor, afflicted, persecuted, and imprisoned, and the abominable wickedness of Herod, the powerful king, who was flattered and served in the midst of his riches and base pleasures. Both were of the same human nature, but entirely different in the sight of God, according as they used, ill or well, their free will, and the created things around them. The penance, poverty, humility, contempt, tribulations of St. John, and his zeal for the glory of my divine Son, merited for him the singular favor of dying in our arms. Herod, on the contrary, by his hollow pomp, his pride, vanity, tyranny, and wickedness, was struck down by the minister of God in order to be punished in the eternal flames. Remember that the same happens now and always in the world, although men do not pay attention to it or fear it. They fear the vain strength of the world, not reflecting that it is, but fleeting shadow and withering grass. Just as little do men think of the ultimate end and of the abyss, into which vices draw them even in this world. Although the demon cannot take away man's liberty, nor ever completely sway his free will, yet by leading them into so many and grievous sins, he obtains such an influence over them that he is enabled to use it as an instrument of the evil he proposes. In spite of witnessing so many and such terrible examples, men remain callous to the fearful danger to which they expose themselves, by their sins, in imitation of Herod and his adulterous concubine. In order to cast souls into this abyss of wickedness, Lucifer meets them with the vain pride and honor of this world and with its base pleasures, representing them as alone, important and desirable. Thus the ignorant children of perdition loosen the bonds of reason in order to follow the degrading pleasures of their flesh and be enslaved by their mortal enemy my daughter the savior and i have taught the way of humility of contempt and tribulation this is the royal road on which we first walked and of which we have set ourselves up as teachers we are the protectors of all the afflicted and ill used ready to assist by miraculous and especial favors all those who call upon us in their necessities Of this assistance and protection, the followers of this world, and its vain pleasures, deprive themselves, since they hate the way of the cross. To the cross thou wast called and invited, and on account of it thou art favored with the sweetness of my loving guidance. Follow me, and labor to imitate me, since thou hast found the secret treasure. Matthew chapter 12 verse 44 And the precious pearl, for the possession of which Thou must despise all that is earthly and give up all human freedom in so far as it is contrary to the pleasure of my most exalted Lord. End of chapter 4.